And it's another exciting afternoon for myself, Kathy van Royen, and my delightful guest, Zareda Garda. And we're looking forward to spending the next hour or so just chatting about all things spiritual, new agey, practical, and anything else randomly funny that we can come up with. So it's a big warm welcome to Zareda on the other side of the line. How are you today, to Zareda? Hi, Kathy. I'm good, thank you. And I'm so happy to be here chatting to you again today. It was so much fun chatting with you the last time. So I'm uh, looking forward to our chat today. It was, and we've had some nice feedback. So thanks for the lo- those who've listened into week number one of our ramble about all things spiritual. And um, we thought this week we would just start with a little bit of introduction as to who we were as little girls. How does that feel for you, Zareda? Yep, that sounds great. You go first. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay, maybe... People might have actually realized that I've got a bit of a Scots accent. So I was born in Scotland, the land of kilted unicorns with big hairy red beards and all sorts of things magical. And I was a very imaginative little child. Um, I saw fairies everywhere. And when we came to South Africa, I was still very young and started doing my schooling here. But the imagination was fired up and I really was... um, I always used to create little stories and as a little in my, you know, the first years of school, there was always a, I always managed to make up games that people wanted to play with, which was cool. Uh, and I also remember flying. Did you fly as a little kid? Oh, yes. I, I think I do remember flying. Um, when I look back on it, I, I definitely had um, a lot of dreams that I was flying. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, also that very kind of magical feel. Uh, similar to yours. What was your um, imaginationary childhood like? Yeah, I was thinking about it as I was listening to you and I quite, I learned to read really early. Um, So reading was my great escape. And I think I, I kind of lost myself in books and then my imagination too. Um, I lived, you know, so it was during apartheid um, when I was growing up. And so we lived in a, a place called Fordsburg, which is quite a concrete kind of just flats and very few uh, trees or grass and that kind of thing. So um, I didn't see any fairies in the concrete so much. Um. <laughs> <laughs> we we but, lived in, a, yeah. in a, sorry, an industrial town. So there was a lot of, um, we lived out in the, in the, I felt like sticks, I suppose. So mm. there was a fell across the road that I had to go through to get to the school bus and I remember we used to catch flying ants it sounds incredibly cruel now and, and pulled the, the the wings off them and put them in jars we didn't realize they were termites but you know that was part of the adventure of of um living with near a piece of felt I mean now I don't you want to go through the felt but then in those days it was it was part of the magical world that's so wonderful that's really lovely um I, I've uh, slightly a uh, less magical story that just came to popped into my mind as I was listening to you. Um, so we, I used to go with my nanny for like a walk um, to a shop kind of close by. And I remember one autumn, like there were all these um, pin oak leaves, you know, yeah. um, covering the ground. Um, and, you know, usually kids are the most exciting thing at that time when you see like huge piles of leaves is to of course jump in them and uh, love enjoy the crunching but I I think it speaks to that I I started out very young as a little worrying child (laughs) I think I I 
I should have totally known your little girl because I would have played more. But I, I remember <laughs> I was pretty young. I must have been about four or so, four or five as well. And I remember thinking, where do all the leaves go? Like, where oh. do they get all the leaves? So I imagine that people would come at night and they would try and gather up all the leaves and then where would they keep them? And then there'd be so many leaves. Like, where do all the leaves go? I, I actually wow. remember having this little worrying <laughs> anxiety-ridden little moment. <laughs> oh, oh. Boy, so I think my little little inner child needs to meet your little inner child and go playing <laughs> on the belt to find the fairies. <laughs> but, uh, th- that's the amazing thing is I, I know that I was a warrior as well because because when we left Scotland, um, I remember being very, I suppose now I would call it traumatized, that I would pray to be, to wake up the next morning back in Scotland. And it wasn't that I hated South Africa. It was just one of these... Things were just so different. And I think I was probably picking up a lot of the, you know, the older siblings who were teenagers trying to trying to adjust into this very frumpter kind of um, school um, environment where they had to wear, you know, they weren't allowed to wear the bobby socks, they had to wear the ankle socks and they had, you know, I mean, my brother and we're talking the the early 70s and, um, you know, where you, to grow your hair long was quite kind of cool. But no, not at the school. It had to be short back and sides and all that. So the, the, the extreme discipline, I think, probably ups, upset the siblings. And as a little kid, even though I was playing and adventuring, I really was very sensitive to all of that. And I used to constantly be praying and, and pleading with God, please let us wake up in Scotland, because I thought that's what that's what you can do during sleep. I mean, you know, you wake up in a different country, don't you? Because <laughs> you did, didn't you? I mean, you, you basically did. You were one yeah. one kind of one day in Scotland and then the next day. But that must have been such a, wow, what a culture shock to come from Scotland to Vereniging. Um, you know, well, yeah. yeah, I think at the, at the time, you know, obviously it's not like nowadays parents where, you know, the children have an idea. I, I, I knew we were going somewhere, you know, I don't really think my mom and dad knew. I mean, there was obviously no way, no Google or way, no internet. It was just a job for my dad. And the fact, I remember being told a few times that there was a, a, a contract. So if we didn't like it, we could return. So there was a means of escape. So I remember being aware of that as a five-year-old, you know, um, and then, of course, my little sister was born in the midst of all this because my mum was quite heavily pregnant when we came out. But my mum loved it. So although there was anxiety of the, the, the teenagers, when my mum stepped off the plane, it was like heaven for her. She, you know, there was, mm-hmm. it was warm. We'd left a very cold December um, Scotland, coming to South Africa in December, which was quite extreme. We, um, and I'd, I remember that somehow... There was there was a lot of peace, but there was also a lot of upset. So now, when I think back, and you know, from the therapist's point of view, I kind of think, well, why did I? Why was I so? Um, it, in the one part, it seemed like I was so unhappy, but yeah, it didn't. I didn't really get to any conclusion other than I was picking up, as you said, these these adjustments of my siblings, um, mm. which I, I must have em- empathed. I know that's a big catchword for everybody, but I was a very sensitive thing. Like I know you were a very sensitive little one. Mm. And I, th- I was just thinking that as I was listening to you, like we so, you know, it, it's taken me and I know it's taken you a long time to realize just how sensitive kids generally are. Kids know yeah. what, what's going on. They pick up things all the time. And it's us as adults who need to kind of really, really get that nowadays yeah. more and more. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and yeah. 
also like the, the should be seen and not heard that's changed now because mm. I often my neighbor's kids screaming on top of their voice. And I'm thinking, I remember we, you know, it was always, it was almost like it was, everything was kind of held back, restrained in a way. So, you know. Mm. Such yeah, a different. It, it is. But luckily now we've got tools and means and friends that we can, we can work through a lot of the, the childhood um, angst and traumas with. So, mm. so spirituality wise, when were you, were you, were you brought up in a, in a religious home? Did you have, because I, I know that I was brought up very Catholic and the God that I was um, taught in the church was very different to the person that I spoke to at night on my bed. And, you know, when I was playing, there was a, it was almost like an invisible friend that I had. But he was very different from the from the the source that I had was taught in the church. So did you have anything like that? Um, yeah, I mean, I, I was brought up um, in a islamic household and it it was kind of a similar sensibility you know that um you know god was someone who would get cross with you and you had to be careful to do the right thing um there's there was a special religious school um that you would go to after your normal schooling and i remember being about six and I seem to be full of the trauma stories today. I apologize, but I'll tell the story anyway, because I think there are a lot of people, obviously, who've had similar experiences. But um, we were told these stories. So this would be similar to yours, I'm sure, that on the day of judgment, your, you know, you a, a strand of your hair is lined up across the, the, the fires of hell, so to speak. And if you haven't okay. committed any sins, then you'll be able to walk across this strand of your own hair. And if you had, you know, if you if you had committed sins, then you would um, plunge into. And we we were like six, five, six year olds, you know, in this um, classroom. And yeah. I remember coming home and being so terrified and so traumatized because I kept to say particular prayers when you went into the bathroom to go to the, you know, to the toilet or if you were going to shower or anything you did, there was like and you had to walk in with your right, with your left foot and out. So it was also mm. quite a. I think, you know, just to kind of say, speak to what you're asking me is that it was, I was also pretty scared a lot, a fair yeah. amount of the time um, that yeah. religion seemed to be a fairly scare, scary thing. And I, I think I was a lot more closed off spiritually as a little kid um, that I can remember now. I'm, I'm quite sure okay. that I was seeing things in people and flying and doing things like you were, but probably I blocked a lot of that already. <laughs> <laughs> um, that, I mean, it's quite amazing that I mean now as I say I think definitely the whole aspect of conventional re religion has definitely changed so it might not be as fear fear mm, I don't know maybe I'm speaking under correction here yeah. but I was chatting to another friend today and she was asking about my, my background that's probably why I'm bringing this up and I was talking about and then she said when did I leave and I said you know as long as I was in my parents home I had to abide by their rules, which meant that I had to go to the Catholic church. But as soon as I left school and I could not get out of that town, that house quick enough, <laughs> I could do <laughs> what I wanted. But then I think I missed a lot of the, the ritual of, you know, the daily, the weekly habit of going and doing certain things. So even though I hated it and questioned it and there was a hundred thousand questions all the time, I didn't realize I was missing something. So I think that's kind of steered me towards the spiritual questioning path so to speak um when did you realize you know when did you find your st start your spiritual journey then if, if you have an idea well I think I I kind of 
as a teenager, I probably became a, a bit of an atheist along the way. Um, and then it was probably more, you know, into my 20s um, that I started being more consciously kind of searching. Um, I always resonated, uh, you know, quite a bit with Buddhism um, and Hinduism and the ideas of reincarnation. That always just felt resonant for me. Um, from when okay. I was, uh, uh, like, like I, I think I had, I always had the sense, maybe I could say this is that for as, as long back as I can remember, even before memory, <laughs> which is, I know, a funny way of saying it. Um, yeah. I always knew that the core of all the religions was the same and that it was about love and compassion and oneness. I, I always have known okay. that. And I think that's probably what kept me going through some of the more, um, um, you know, n difficult uh, experiences with with various religions. Because I also went to a Christian school, even though I grew up in a Muslim household and it was similarly uh, restrictive and similarly, I guess, judgmental, really. Um, yeah. But I think that's, and, and I, I, I call myself now, I, I, when people ask me, I say I'm a child of the universe. And that I feel is kind of has always been my sensibility. And I've just kind of grown into that more and more with my explorations and my learnings and that kind of thing. I think that's very wise. And that's why I'm friends with you. <laughs> Ditto. So we continue the talk of modern day mystic and down the rabbit hole of spirituality, new age and practicality. And uh, we touched a little bit on the magic and the traumas of childhood in the first section. But I think there's more. We have got a little bit more substance than just a whole lot of imaginary dreams and, and play play friends, haven't we? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Between us, we have um, actually quite a few degrees, actually, <laughs> and many many courses <laughs> yeah so tell me a little bit about what did you study and and you know your your profession okay so I started out in a completely different career I was actually in human rights and media and wow. uh, was yeah very different um but you know it was as an Aquarian you know humanitarianism fighting for you know, what is good and, and for the greater good, let's say, was always an important thing for me. Um, and I was part of a group that did a submission to the Truth and Reconciliation Commission. Little plug for self there. Um, Fantastic. Well done. <laughs> but if you Google me, you can find it. Um, and then I realized that I was, you know, so, you know, the way a lot of us go through this, like, what is my sole purpose and how on earth do I figure that out? So, I was kind of searching like all of us end up doing at some level. Um, and I kind of did some, I went to go do some like educational psychology, personality tests and career tests and that kind of thing. And psychology came up and I was in therapy at the time. I was like, I think I could do this thing, you know, Excellent. which I'm sure irritates all therapists, right? <laughs> <laughs> and, I then decided, I thought, okay, this is it. This is it. The be all and end all of my life is going to become to become a, a clinical psychologist. So I went and I did it. I started from the beginning because I had to, I didn't have, I had a BA, but I didn't have um, a psychology. Yeah. So mm -hmm. I started from psych one. I did psych one and two together and then carried on. And it, 
took me, you know, a good six years proper to, and to get into masters, uh, you know, is always a big deal in psychology. And I did, and I finished it. And then I was like, why am I not blissed out? Mm. Why am I, you know, I actually started having um, quite a breakdown at that point and, and was quite depressed and struggling quite a lot. And it took me a long time to realize it was my soul actually calling out to me going, you've learned what you needed to from like the clinical training side and the knowledge around that, but mm-hmm. something more. And I think one of the things that I realized is that when you, when you look at the, the um, origins of the word psych, psychology, it's actually psyche is actually the soul. And yeah. I think that was really what I wanted to do was actually be a soul therapist, which is, I guess, you know, what, how I would describe myself now. And I then embarked on a lot of different kinds of um, courses around, you know, soul purposes and soul development and psychic development and mediumship and um, all kinds of things um, that has kind of got me to this point of being a soul kind of being on a podcast being on a podcast <laughs> talking about it exactly yeah and tell that's fantastic tell us about your journey Kathy because yours is even more interesting than mine well, no, this is not a competition, but <laughs> we're just as varied, which gives us a range, a range of topics. So I, I had my appendix out when I was 12, and I was very curious about what goes on behind the other people's curtains in hospital. So I was de- developed, I knew I wasn't clever enough to be a doctor, and I didn't want to study for as long anyway. So I thought, okay, go the nursing route. So I managed a year of nursing and then now that I know who I am now at the time I was you know one of these kind of cocky confident young teenagers or because I was 17 when I started and um, I realized that I got too emotionally involved with the patients and I'm not talking um, you know going home to them it's in my dreams I dream of patients and then I'd get back to the ward the next day or the next you know after a weekend off and these patients had been released and stuff and I realized that that I, I possibly cared too much but at the same time, thankfully, that year, there was um, a band that had reached my um, radar and I started going to this band every every time I had off, like Evoid, I would go and see these concerts. Mm-hmm. And I remember looking at the sound guy thinking, oh, I'd love to be a roadie. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> and then I ended up leaving nursing, got, got into TV, but a a whole series of serendipitous um, things. And I loved, I loved the travel. I actually worked in outside broadcast for, for a few years, had my gap year as well in between, came back from Scotland because, you know, being an immigrant, never really feeling like I was fitting in anywhere. And then it was only when I started doing freelance that I thought I was going through also a bit of a, pe- a personal crisis and I went to a therapy um, psychologist and I thought I could do this, <laughs> as you said. <laughs> And funny enough, I'd started trying to do an English a degree, a BA in English, but I'm not a ferocious reader. If the words are too big, I don't. So I couldn't keep up with it, with reading work and, and full time job at the time. So by the time it came after my therapy, I thought, now I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to do psychology. So I studied, you know, part time th- um, online through. And but at the same time, I started going on this like spiritual quest of doing all sorts of courses. And I had started up a women's network, which gave me access to a whole range of different therapists. And because I was like in charge of this network, 
a lot of them invited me to come for sessions to experience it so that I could write up. So I think I, I you know, typical Scots way, I got a really good um, experience of whole cross section of different new age therapies and things like that. And I just had to find something that, you know, that would suit me. So I did a lot of courses as well. And then eventually when I found the emotional freedom techniques and tapping and it started to look at the negative stuff and deal with the negative issues and deal with the problems that I found, ah, I've now found personally, I found my niche. And it also understanding the way that we use words, how it can affect the body. And it just kind of fell into place for me then. Um, so that was really my foray. And, and, with with my mum, my mum died when I was twenty five, and that also helped prompt my spiritual quest. Almost in a way, like where did she go? You know, where, can I, you know, can I find her? Um, and not realizing that the loss was actually helped my search, um, if that makes sense. Mm. So, yeah, and then we found each other. When did we? We don't remember when we found each we other. I think it's so. around. Was it about twenty eleven or twenty twelve? Maybe somewhere around then. I think. Yeah, it. I don't remember talking to you during the World Cup, yeah. so it, it was, might have been after the World yeah, Cup. Yeah, <laughs> I think it was because actually, what I did is I I was looking for um, an EFT therapist, and I googled, and there was Kathy, like the first person who came up um, EFT SA, and I went and I checked out a website, and um, and then I started having sessions with her actually. Um, and so anything I know about EFT was actually mentored and taught to me by Kathy, my mentor. Yes. <laughs> and the good thing is that we've got a very similar sense of humor. We've got very, very different, but it's complementary outlooks on life. And I think that's what makes it work in a way. It's like we, we both respect each other's uh, viewpoints and frame of reference, but are able to find a common ground, usually with some Monty Python or some sort of sick joke <laughs> dark sense of humor yes, you definitely have a dark sense of humor that's in common uh, especially around um around subjects like death and um you know deep dark shadow things you know i think yeah. humor has been a place for both of us i think exactly exactly i mean i must say when I was little, um, and my dad, I mean, my dad has is, is got the classic dad jokes, but he's got a very, he had a very good sense of humor in a way. And I think that has been my saving grace because I used, to, as, a, as a youngster, I used to take everything so seriously. And then there'd be this wacky, un, un, completely un-PC joke in my head. And I'm thinking, if this falls out of my mouth now, people will think I'm really, you know, insensitive or, <laughs> but it's, it certainly has saved me. And I do think that, you know, it, it, it made me lighten up, no pun, but definitely lighten up my vibration. I think humor is totally underestimated in its ability to to lighten our vibration. And I think, you know, looking back on our, our sort of first part of our podcast, just talking about uh, childhoods, um, one of the things that I learned uh, and was exposed to very early on, like really young, like probably seven or eight, was Monty Python and Faulty Towers. And I used to do, so Kathy does skits now, but I used to do little skits of Faulty Towers and Monty Python and all sorts of other <laughs> silly English English humor and comedy. Um, and I, I do think that, yeah. that, yeah, hugely kind of kept both of us probably going and, and still does now because it's often yeah. it's often our humor that helps us both out when we go into something challenging um with each other to help each other 
excuse me. But the the best thing now is that it's so accessible. I mean, when you were seven, I mean, we we had like, how did we ever how get hold of it? any of these things? And it was like, yeah, it's amazing. Hey? I'm, I'm trying to think. We must have had a VH. I think we had a VHS um, tape deck, right? Tape um, video player. Yeah, recorder. I yeah. have actually no idea because it would have all been black market stuff, right? Um, yeah, yeah. So I have no idea where my family was getting Monty Python, and you make such a good point. I'm like, wow. Actually, I have to go figure find that out. Like, where on earth? We probably did. I know where it was. Divine intervention. <laughs> it, it must have been. <laughs> it must have been. Monty Python is my saving grace. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I'm talking, okay, I'm, I'm a little bit older than you, but I'm talking sometimes, you know, people would get films and put projectors and we'd get like a film and, and, and go to somebody's house and we'd all lie in like these blankets in the middle of the living room watching watching some, I don't even remember what movies it were, but there was no ways we'd have the Monty Python movies. But I remember we had a... Um, before even TV, I know that. I mean, <laughs> that's how that's how old I am. It, 1976 TV came in, but before that, I think we had Billy Connolly records oh. or recordings of records. I don't even know if the tape recorder was in yet. It must have been. Must have been. But we would listen to this Billy Connolly, and that was like our taste of home, you know. Oh, and Billy Connolly's classic, <laughs> so classic, complete. <laughs> yeah. And, and my um, my friend actually, her dad knew him when they were working together. Wow. So it was actually like when when I met her when I was about ten, it was like oh, and it's like talk about six degrees of of Billy Connolly. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> Never mind separation; it's all just to do with Billy Connolly. And I guess ours has been six degrees of of you know Monty Python. Um, exactly. Exactly. Totally. So yeah. yeah. So thank. So after us talking about six degrees of uh, Monty Python and going down a little bit of a rabbit hole away from the subject of spirituality and new age and practicality, we're just reminding people that we are very practical. So even though we can be accused of being away with the fairies, we like to come down to earth with a little bit of a laugh. Absolutely. And, <laughs> and when in doubt, at least now you're right, we have YouTube. And yeah. all manner of things to to find uh, all the English comedies nowadays that uh, we we don't know how we found and got in exactly. the seventies and eighties. Yeah, <laughs> and you know, some, sometimes in my sessions, for instance, I know that if I can make a little joke about it, it's almost like, and the pe person laughs, then I know that the issue has been kind of lifted. But if the person's still reacting, then I was like, okay, hang on, you know, it seems a bit insensitive to tease somebody with the British kind of sarcasm humor um but i think it is for me because you and i both work very intuitively we kind of it's not often we'll get like the 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 hairy eyeball when we've made a joke in a session yeah and i i so agree with that because I, I it's something i i know you've done with me at times in in the past when we used to have sessions I would be in a in a quite a intense space of feeling triggered or, or overwhelmed, and you would make a joke, and sometimes I would be like, I can't believe she's doing this. Just why? Is no, she but you would this? actually tell me, okay, not appropriate yet, and okay, okay, right, not ready yet. I mean, just needs to go a little bit longer. <laughs> yes, exactly. But what what's so important, I think, is how often it would help me 
it just flips a switch inside, you yeah. know, it helped, it would help me. And I, I think it, this is what it does for, for clients. If you, if you, if it's at, in, at the right moment to help you kind of just reframe it, it's like a funny kind of technique to reframe something of kind of going, wait, because I remember we relatively, this was more recent. We were saying something about, um, oh gosh, and I can't remember what it was very helpful. Um, but you, <laughs> you use the humor on me and I just flipped it around. And it was like, you know, oh, wow, actually, I do feel better about it now. Um, so yeah. it can be quite an interesting, like, therapeutic technique when you time it right, when you, and I think both of us have quite a lot of years of, of working with clients now to know when you're able to time it in, that it can actually help someone to reframe, help someone to kind of look at the bigger picture. Um, so it's a, it's a quirky, fun uh, technique to use but also a really powerful one, as you were saying earlier, to raise our vibrations and to shift our perspective. But it also can't be taught, you know. So you and I, I, I can't say to you, okay, well, then then you need to use a joke. It's not. It's, it's a thing, as you say, we, we, we feel our way through sessions. And I think, you know, being so sensitive in a way, although it might have affected our childhood, as adults was like, oh, okay, I'm feeling my way through a session and it feels the right time to drop a joke or it feels the right time to say this. It feels, so I really, I, I have um, flick, switched that from being, oh, I shouldn't be so oversensitive to, hey, I'm actually damn good at the sensitivity thing. Mm. So that really did switch the bad habit in my head from, from knocking myself down and judging myself so harshly because I overanalyze everything and I'm so sensitive to like, I'm over it analyzing this again and I'm so sensitive you me <laughs> exactly and I think our both our over an analysis and our sensitivity is exactly what makes us um the good therapist that we are there I said it we're both good therapists you know um well, you. <laughs> I know little pat on back <laughs> um you know because because it is absolutely that um kind of that ability to feel with sense with the client without getting completely pulled in, absolutely. But, you know, being able to track and feel and notice in your own nervous system, in your own, so using the sensitivity in a much, such an empowered way, you know, turning exactly like you said, turning all of that stuff that we were told was wrong about us when we were kids and teens and, and at school and whatever into actually our, partly our superpowers now. Because it is what sure. makes us more effective therapists. And that sensitivity is what makes you know like when it's appropriate to use a little bit of humor or not or um, what a person is needing, you know, at a, at, a, at, a, at a moment in therapy. For sure. And I think, as you, said, you so rightly said, it's like in, in this internal scan where we, where we have now um, learned that these are not things to be ashamed of and they're qualities that we can we can switch them around. We actually help our clients find what is your superpowers because usually it is those things that they've been trying to resist or trying to resist to own or they're denying. It's like, well, what's the, what's the strength in that? Where is the strength? And that is why I've, I've liked the, the EFT in particular because it's let's look at the negative instead of try and avoid it. Let's see, okay, you think you're angry? What are you angry about? Okay, how has that anger served us? And once we figure that out, it is almost like our body does this beautiful switch. It's like, oh, hang on. So I don't mm. have to change that. Like, no, we're just learning to apply it differently. So the, the, the internal um, boundaries, is, as we, we, we talked earlier, um, you were saying about how so, so many people, so many times people will say, oh, but I'm fine. But you and I now, mm. hang on, 
this is actually I'm I'm going into areas where I don't want to you know discuss or it's getting a little bit triggered for me. Let's change subject or let's do some intervention. And um, a friend of mine was asking like, what do you mean? I says, well, I've got a good sense of my 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 body. So part of it is because of the running. Um, ability or whatever the running hobby that I do is like okay is this is this mine or is this somebody else's or am I taking on some something else and then I do like an internal scan and um it's an intuition that everybody's born with but we've we've kind of learned to 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 not listen like so many people will eat and eat and eat but they don't know what they're hungry for or they don't know when they're full or or they're eating the wrong foods for themselves because you know so I think that internal scan comes with understanding our sensitivities. Mm, absolutely. And I think you're so right. You know, we it's it's pretty much drummed out of us, our sensitivity and our intuitiveness that's linked to that, you know, across the board, whether it's about knowing when you're, when you're full, when you're eating, to when um, something is triggering you when in a conversation, in uh, if you're out in the, you know, in a shopping mall or in a, in a grocery store and, you get home and you're exhausted and you have no idea why. And it, it could just be there was too much energy, too many other people, um, too much stress around COVID or whatever. Um, but I, I think it, mm. it, it, it's almost like a new skill we have to relearn because it was sort of literally brainwashed out of us in a sense of yeah. like learning to, to, to feel, okay, so where, where do I end and where do other people begin? And when do I know? Um, that that boundary or my inner boundaries, I'm someone else's violating or I am about to by agreeing to something, by yeah. saying yes when I want to say no, you know, those things that people often talk about. But so it's quite a, um, a process that I think both of us have been learning ourselves and, and helping our clients to understand that, like, absolutely, it's like a swear word these days. You know, when my clients, when my clients say I'm fine, I usually just like raise an eyebrow. Really? Really? Are you? <laughs> Yeah, for sure and you know I think what you mentioned that about the COVID thing and I think that the boundary setting the physical practicality of when 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 the lockdown started in South Africa and you know that they had to literally go and put two meter lines on the ground um, and it's almost like the sense of understanding where am I touching on somebody else's breathing mm -hmm. space even that's a that's like a practical implication of what we've had to learn to redo internally it's like, this is a boundary where I don't want you to cross. And I actually can say, step back a minute. Please. Yes. You know? and also, I think, so, I think that, sorry. <laughs> sorry. No, I was going to say, in a way, like what I, I've tried to do in, for myself and in therapies, like COVID has been so difficult and so stressful and so overwhelming for every single one of us on the planet. But it also has come with yeah. gifts. And I think this is one of those, and I'm saying gifts in inverted commas, um, I think it's yeah. it's almost forcing us to learn boundaries, like standing two meters away because actually you're within enough proximity to yes infect people. But it's it's almost like we physically need to experience boundaries in order to internally and emotionally learn what they should be for ourselves. So in that way, I think yeah. you know COVID has been quite an interesting social experiment as well in terms of. I think sure understanding what a, wow actually i need to be further away because i'm sure a lot of us would get people into yeah. our space because we were being polite and because it's done and it's 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 rude to say move away or you know just talking about 
being in lines, you know, in shopping centers. But it, it, it's like you, we're so good at violating our own boundaries that we don't even notice we're doing it. Yeah. And I think one of the things that these distances, social distance in terms of when we are in proximity of each other is kind of helping us in this extreme way to learn those exactly. physical boundaries mm. that can help us learn the internal boundaries a bit more. For sure. And and one of the things that I also find, which has been a good side effect of, of, the, of this, this whole experience as a social experiment, as you say, years ago, I listened to Neil Donald Walsh on his truth seminar, and he was talking about our ability to say no, or shall we say our inability to say no. And what he was saying is that he would say to people, no, thank you. I would just like to stay at home on receiving an invite. And his wife at the time would say, you didn't dare to say that. Why didn't you say we were sick or something? So with COVID now, what I've also realized, because somebody, I just saw something today on, on, on Facebook, had invited a whole lot of people to come to a party and they're welcome to say no because of the fear of possibly catching an inf infection. So it's almost like now instead of just an expecting a resounding yes or I need a real reason for going to something, they can now maybe possibly even hide behind the, the, the COVID fear and say no, but at least it's making you say do I want to go to this mm. or not? Do I want to say yes to this or not? So I think this, as you say, the social experiment has been, you know, keeping, I know in the UK, they've just coming out of their, their quite ex extreme lockdown period where they had a little bubble of six people and they hadn't seen that one and they hadn't seen that one. But now it's like, well, who am I going to let into mm. my bubble? So it's almost like the selection processes that has had to start all over again. And the awareness has been raised. So for sure, I think it has been a very good social experiment in, on, if we had to look at it from Well, that also, aspect. it's like, what does it take for humans to learn to take care of themselves? Well, fear of death, really. <laughs> <laughs> and you and I are not scared of dying. Yeah, I, really. I think it's more the, the, the actual how. I know it's the how we die, I think, is what most humans are scared of because we anticipate like it will be a painful death or whatever, you know, the actual journey, the way out. The actual dying bit. Yeah. <laughs> the dying bit. When we come to, oh, I'm sure there's a, there's a Monty Python uh, line in there sure. somewhere. I'm quite sure. <laughs> <laughs> And just like that, we're in our last section of this uh, this week's episode of our podcast of Down the Rabbit Hole. And it has been like a rabbit hole with lots of warrens and lots of, lots of paths going off everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe we should keep like a roadmap of one topic. But I do think, it, um, to me, I, this is how our conversations go. We start on one thing and then you're, we're off on a tangent. So, we, Yes, we've usually covered about 14 subjects in any conversation that we have. I did want to start this section by going, well, I didn't expect the kind of Spanish Inquisition <laughs> <laughs> on the Monty Python side, but, you know. Yeah, I don't, I'll have to check up. My, look, my world history, I don't even know what the Spanish Inquisition really was. I only know it from the Monty Python skit, and that is still. No. <laughs> but I can grill you. I can ask you questions. So, yeah, the, I, I do the skit. You yeah. forced me to do it. <laughs> no, we're going down one of those rabbit holes, Kathy. Come out, come out, pull back, pull back. <laughs> back to the podcast. Yeah. So I do think that um, 
the fear of death. And, and the, you know, at the moment, the COVID has brought up a whole lot of fear in per se. And I know that my life was surrounded by fear and you helped me tremendously a few years ago just understand my, and it literally, it was like my fear dissolved. I was telling a friend today that now I, I approach people like in my little adventures around the country and, and into different towns and stuff. I went up, I go into a clubhouse and say, can I see your manager and ask for permission to go and, you know, film people's buildings and gardens. And I'm going, I would never have done any of that before that session with you. I would have wanted to, but I wouldn't have had the courage. Well, that's, I mean, you know, as a healing facilitator, let's say that kind of story, just like, well, that's it. My, my work here is done. Yeah. I can die now. <laughs> yes, exactly. And, and, and I think that sometimes, you know, in this, in this healing field, we kind of forget that, you know, you think, oh, well, I've, I've, like for me now, I've got no clients or it feels like I'm going down. What is my point? What's the use? And then hang on. You hear something from somebody and you go, actually, I made the difference. The you literally made the world of difference in my life. Um, and I know that for sure. It was, it was that session. It was as clear as anything. And I had a session with you. It was a Friday. I'd come home. I was lying on the couch. And it was almost like there was this question in my mind says, well, what are you actually scared of? And I'm going, oh, I'm, fear I'm scared of the fear, like the fear of fear. And it disappeared. I'm going, well, I'm not scared of dying. And what's the worst that can happen? I die. And I, I don't think anybody has ever died asking the manager of any golf club if they could film in the building. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> and I think back of all those opportunities. Now, I'm not saying wasted opportunity. I don't live with regrets. But when I think back to those years on TV and the places that I went and the people that I met and the experiences that I was, and because I was so shy, I mean, if it wasn't in the context of the work, like like I was doing my sound operation, I would never just say to, to like now I would say, oh, how did you get here? Or what are you doing? Or, you know, it would just not even enter my mind. It would be strictly business. And I think, oh, if I had to go back into that world now, into that same environment with the confidence and with the lack of fear, it would it would be a completely different experience. Mm. And I think, you, you know, you, that is the thing. It's about facing these these really difficult parts of ourselves and and you know whilst it seems quite kind of magical uh, what it sounds like it sounds like I, I found my my wand my magic wand and I kept sort of <laughs> you, and she got you, find it? you never let it go <laughs> I never yes this is true I had it but I just didn't realize it was a wand I thought it was a leaf that had to go <laughs> I'm going down but was going to say is that what I think that does speak to what underlies all of that is how much work you had done before that and I think this is something that comes to you know something that's important to both Kathy and I is that on our journey for both of us and we speak about this quite a lot is that so often in religions different spiritual practices even the new age practices emotion and the so-called bad, and I say in inverted commas, or difficult, challenging emotions like fear, like anger, like hatred, like jealousy, are always demonized. You know, they're always polarized. They're always looked at as, looked down upon as bad and evil, and we must get rid of them, and we must not feel them, and we must not face them, and all of those things. And all, of, and we literally everything we're taught is about not feeling what you feel and always just being happy, clappy. 
And yeah. so I think, you know, Kath, you've done years of work before then. I think it was possibly just you were that you were ready in that moment to release a big level of fear. But yeah. up until that point, you've been in a process like I've been working on as well. And that we often help each other with that is just being with, being able to stop, um, you know, demonizing our own difficult emotions, stop yeah. you know, blaming my, you know, my depression when I feel it, my anxiety when I feel it, my fear when I feel it. Um, yeah. So often, like, and I think for a lot of people, you know, what could be a more empowering part of like the whole COVID story that we're all living in right now is to like, well, I have this fear. So instead of going, well, I, sh- I shouldn't be fearful or I'm overreacting or it's like, okay, so it's okay that I have this fear. You know, the world mm-hmm. is actually telling me, legitimizing my fear for a change. So that's not a bit yeah. you know, helpful. But, you know, just to be able to begin learning and working towards accepting us, our emotions more, that's really the pathway towards the magic one moment that Kathy yeah. described. Um, yeah. I just think that's important to just say, it wasn't just like, she, you know, appeared the one day and boom, it was all gone. She did a lot of work on accepting her, her emotions, accepting herself, not resisting them, uh, not fighting them, not hating herself for having them anymore. And I think that's really important for, for, you know, all of us to remember. Yes, thank you for that reminder. But it did seem like it, it was in a nutshell. It felt like that. And even though I'm a therapist and even though I've done, as you say, loads and loads of course, courses and self-work and stuff, I still sometimes get surprised, like my clients do and like your clients do too. Like when, when something that seems so um, permanent has been on your shoulders or you've been carrying it for such a long time and then it kind of disappears, it's almost like I, I was looking around the room like, where's it gone? Where's it gone? Where'd it go? Because it, it physically feels like it's, it's gone, you know? So that's what's, that's what's awesome about, um, you know, our journeys that, that, that we're on is when we're actually helping somebody say, there's your rucksack, it's full of those rucks. Look at rocks, look at them, and let's just have a look and let's see, what does that feel like? Okay, and it shows up like this. All right, what if we had to, do you need to keep it or do you want to put it to the side? And I think that's one of the, the most liberating things is, when, as you said, when we start to look at our, at our fears instead of demonizing ourselves for having them. Yeah, that's absolutely. <laughs> Sorry, I just stopped there mid-sentence. <laughs> I was like, wait, I don't have anything to say now. <laughs> <laughs> because as as the listeners and you know I mean I can go on and on and on <laughs> it's okay now <laughs> yeah. which is what what we have to kind of limit ourselves I mean our conversations normally actually I was going to say like three or four hours but it's more like most of the time that we're awake we have the it's like an ongoing <laughs> conversation <laughs> we voice note each other so this is how we manage to have this continuous conversation through both of our days of doing various things and seeing clients and writing books as Kathy does and doing skits as she does. Um, <laughs> no, so we, we have this like voice note conversation, which I so absolutely love. Um, it's actually but, quite a fun thing. But the latest thing that you're doing is you're not even listening to the voice notes and you know what I'm thinking. <laughs> oh, yes. This, this, is, this is a cool thing, which I think, you know, we, to, it's maybe helpful to kind of help Explain. us. End off. Yeah. But we, we um, more and more, and I think this is, you know, some of my clients have been asking me a lot around, like, how do you know when you're meeting soul family? 
right? Mm-hmm. How do you know when you're meeting someone from your soul tribe, people that really do resonate with your soul, that you're on a similar frequency um, with? And I think, you know, this is this is the kind of experience that Kathy and I have been, uh, literally, we this is what we were representing to you through our podcast. But one of the amazing things which, we've, which we've, we didn't expect to happen is that we actually telepathize with each other and quite a lot and quite regularly too. <laughs> but we still get amused when it happens so that's the beauty of it that's what makes it funny it's like it's not like okay well now I've just had a conversation with the radio without saying a word it's like we still go wow because it is so wow it's exciting it's fun it is exciting and it's fun and I think that's how that's how you really know you're connecting with your spirituality with your intuition that you're deepening because yeah. you know intuition and spirituality are like basically so intertwined intuition is kind of like the practical application of your spirituality. Oh, that was quite quotable. Yeah. I'm glad I'm Why? I said it. Should I write that down? I'll have to rewind it and, and make it make it a little. Because <laughs> it's gone. Intuition up. is the practical side of spirituality. Of spirituality. Practical application oh, yeah. of spirituality. There we go. That was a good one. Quotable quote. That is a good one. Three cheers. Yay. I should add in some applause sound effects here. Please do. Please do. But that's as is. And, and, and I think that we get inspired sorry Kath I know I interrupted you but like so inspired I get so inspired and so excited and I laugh and I'm filled with so much joy and there we are raising our vibrations and that's the moment to be manifesting things and note and noticing that your intentions and that kind of thing connecting with little moments of joy that is how we find our way towards deepening our spirituality Listen to me. Yeah. I know you're on a <clears throat> you're on a roll. I mean, I read, I don't know if I mentioned it last podcast, but if I have, it doesn't matter. Uh, please apologize. Charlotte Rampling, there was an interview with her, and I, I always admired her acting. I don't know why, but I, I think because she married Jean Michel Jarre, whose music I loved at the time. I didn't realize they divorced. They were only married for about six years, but she there was an interview with her in one of these online things, and she said, I have a life where if it if something doesn't ping, then I don't then I don't pursue it. And I'm going, this is me. These little moments that you and I have, these little pings of vibration. And when I do my little things and I, and I, I see a, a bird or, or I see a dog and it makes my heart go ping, then I know that's my vibration right, right being raised. Exactly. So and I'm that's like, how, how you're bringing, you know, how you're noticing that your spirituality is like your lived experience, your every day from one breath to the next that yep. it goes it's full of pings. <laughs> Say again. It's full of pings. It's full of pings. <laughs> we'll end. You yeah. have to put in a ping here so that we can like a <laughs> Just add effect. I can actually feel the glisten. I can feel the stars shimmer through. the. If it was video, you would see <sighs> the halos shine. Oh, yes. It's lovely. It's lovely. <laughs> falling stars. Falling stars. <laughs> I think so. And for that, I think that's a nice place to finish off with these nice pings. So thanks once again for this lovely, awesome chat in public. (laughs) Thank you, Kathy, for inviting me and for sharing this lovely podcast with me too. Yep. And we'll chat to you hopefully soon. Bye.